And, you know, it's amazing how people want to come up with all this stupid crap about their passion and all those other stupid things. When if you just get out there and work your ass off, you'd do really well in the marketplace because marketplace rewards hard work. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou, and boy, do we have another fantastic, awesome guest lined up for you today. In fact, it's his second appearance on the show. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary pit bull of personal development himself, Larry Winget. Welcome to the show, Larry. Hey, I appreciate you having me. How can you promise that it's going to be exciting before we've even done it? You know what, brother? I've had you on the show once before. The last one was exciting, so I know this one will be too. Well, there you go. <laughs> so, Larry, longtime listeners of the show have heard you on the show before, but we've got a bunch of new listeners. So, would you please start off by telling us your backstory? How'd you get to be the great Larry Winget? Well, I was kind of born the great Larry Winget. I just uh, expanded that as I got older. I uh, grew up dirt poor in Muskogee, Oklahoma. I figured out I didn't want to be dirt poor and be made fun of for not having any money. So I figured out how to make money, and that was work harder than everybody else. And, you know, it's amazing how people want to come up with all this stupid crap about their passion and all those other stupid things. When if you just get out there and work your ass off, you'd do really well in the marketplace because marketplace rewards hard work. And that's what I did. I worked really hard no matter what I was starting out to do. Started my own telecommunications company, then became a professional speaker and uh, wrote six New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestsellers, had my own television show. Now I'm a regular on uh, many other television shows, regularly appear on Fox News, and uh, do a whole bunch of stuff. There's the really short version of my life. Yeah, that is powerful. You know, I'm a big fan of your work. I've read three of your books. The well, why don't you read the rest of them? I bought them all. I'm getting through them. Don't worry. We'll get there. All right. All right. So, That's the right thing to say. So the latest one that I read was What's Wrong with Damn Near Everything. There's a picture of you on the cover holding on to a cigar. Okay. Yeah. And what I like about your books and what I think makes you a, a heck of a thought leader is you've got a very honed in, consistent message, right? One of the things you like to say is the key to success is do what you say the way you said you do it when you said you do it. And, and to me, that's the essential Larry Winget. That's a big part of your appeal to someone like me. And we say that to be a thought leader, you need to have a dialed-in, consistent message that speaks to a problem that people have and want solved. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think 99.99% of everybody who calls them a thought leader is an idiot because they never had an original thought. I think that's what it takes to be a thought leader, have an original thought. 
I don't claim to have had very many original thoughts, but at least I figured out a an original way to express those thoughts, which is also a problem for most people who call themselves thought leaders. And here's the other issue. Anybody who calls themselves a thought leader isn't one. It's the marketplace who must call you a thought leader. If you're doing it, you're bragging. You know what? There's a lot of truth in what you just said. Well, no, it's all true. Not just a lot of truth. It's all true. It's all truth. Well, listen, here's what I'll beg to differ on you on, okay? So there's five pillars of what I call thought leadership, okay, as we've defined it. So let me walk you through those. Number one is you got to have what you call an original thought. We we call it have world-class, unique intellectual property. So you got to think. And you got to okay, have that excludes, you will admit that excludes 99.99% of the people who call themselves thought leaders. Agree. Agree. Okay, good. It, it, it excludes a lot of them. No, no question about it. So that's number one. Number two, you have to have an audience for that message. You have to have a message and you have to have an audience for that message. If you're talking to everybody, you're talking to nobody, right? There's got to be a select group of people who are interested in your message. Okay. Third, You've got to be a preeminent person in your field. You can't be a me too saying the same old crap that everybody else says. you got to be someone who is recognized as being one of the preeminent people in your field. Fourth, you got to leverage your expertise beyond doing it one way. So you can't just be a speaker or an author or a one-on-one coach. you got to leverage it in multiple ways. And then finally, you can't be doing it alone. You need to have mentors and peers of your own to help propel you forward. Those are what we call the five pillars of thought leadership. What are your thoughts on those? No, I agree with every one of those five pillars. And again, I just, uh, I, I, I have big issues when I sign on to LinkedIn, which I just hate to do. And uh, I see somebody that has called themselves a thought leader. It's it's not right. It's the marketplace who decides what you are. And if you're out there saying that you're a thought leader, boy, that seems self-serving to me. I would never say that about myself. If other people want to say that about about me, I'm fine with that. But I would never go out there and say I'm a thought leader. I I fit all the criteria you said on your five pillars. 100%. Uh, I definitely got all five of them nailed. So I, I'm good with that. It's just I think that so we live in a in a marketplace that thrives on hyperbole, and uh, that's a problem. We have people who call themselves best-selling authors when all they did was. Hit a subcategory of a subcategory of a subcategory of a category of books on Amazon for one hour. I'm sorry, a guy took a picture of his foot in one hour and made himself a number one Amazon bestseller. In the foot way. category. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, it, so that's hyperbole. I, I saw a guy the other day who called himself the number one motivational speaker in America. He had been in the business for three years. Uh, before that, he had sold suits for Joseph A. Banks. He claims to have given over 3,000 speeches. Okay, do the math on that. In three years, that means you're given three speeches a day, every damn day. You're a liar. And so I wrote the guy and said, how did you become the number one motivational speaker in America? Was there a poll someplace? Is there a list? And, and on that big list of the, all the motivational speakers in America, which you claim to be ranked number one, where did Zig Ziglar fall? Where's Jim Rohn? Where's Brian Tracy? And by the way, I've been doing this 30 years. Did I even make the list? How did you get to number one? 
And of course, he immediately blocked and banned me because people don't want to be called on their stupidity. But we hmm. we live in this world of, of hyperbole where very few people actually walk their talk, have that unique perspective out there. They just claim to have. And sadly, people believe them, which astounds me. Well, you know, it's interesting that you just said that. I got to say, I've done some hyperbolic speaking and marketing in my time. And sometimes uh, looking back, I go, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Sometimes it's part of what I had to do to move myself forward inside my business. But one of the pet peeves I have in in my industry, in our industry of, of personal development is that there's a lot of what I like to call charlatan marketers out there. These are people who put themselves out there as experts, as gurus, who can help folks grow their business. What I do is I help coaches and consultants grow their business, pure and simple. And one of the reasons I do it is because I paid a guy who had a program to help people like me grow my business, and it didn't deliver. And there's a lot of folks out there that have these types of programs that they claim can help you, you know, become super successful, make six figures, make seven figures, and they don't deliver. I hate these charlatan marketers. They've taken money from friends of mine. They've taken money from me. There's one of my customers who said that she spent $125,000 with zero return on investment on these programs. What can we do to help expose these people, if you know well, what I mean. Well, I call them out on it. And see, I believe that you have to speak up for your industry. I got trashed recently because I did that. I called out a bunch of guys, again, on LinkedIn, the guys who uh, ask to connect with you, and the instant they connect with you, they're trying to sell you something. And they instantly... I get five a week people trying to help me write a book. Really? I've written six New York Times bestsellers, dumbasses. How are you going to help me write a book when you've never written a bestseller? I, I get them five a week. People saying, let me help you with your platform skills. Really? Do you realize who you're talking to here? And, and so that's the kind of thing that really bothers me. So I just called a bunch of them out on it and exposed them for it. And I had people come after me saying, how dare you do that? You realize what you might do to their business. And I said, I hope I have destroyed their business because I am so proud of my industry that I am willing to stick up for my industry and expect honesty, integrity, and for people to do the right thing. And when people don't, I have no problem calling them out on it. I think when you're silent, when you see people are that who are charlatans and you're silent, silence is cowardice. And I refuse to be a coward. I'm an old man. To hell with what people think of me. I do what I do because it's the right thing to do at this point. Always the right thing to do. And if people have a problem with it, really to hell with them. I don't care. It's more important to be able to put your head on the pillow at night and say, I did a good job today. I was honest. I had integrity. I know that if I had it to live over, I would live it over the very same way. When you can do that, you don't have to apologize to anybody. Yeah, silence is complicity, uh, complicitness, to actually say it properly. What was it? There was um, an Irish uh, philosopher in the 
18th century, his name was Edmund Burke, and he said, the only condition necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to stand by and do nothing. I guess in the 21st century, you got to make it good men and women to stand by and do nothing. But the sentiment uh, still stands. It absolutely still stands. And yet, we live in this society, Nikki, where if you speak up, people will trash you for being the one who speaks up instead of trashing the charlatan for being a charlatan, even though everybody knows they're a charlatan. See, that's screwed up. <laughs> we live in an amazing dichotomy where our society is 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 the most advanced it's ever been. You have access to uh, learning at your fingertips that people a hundred years ago would kill for. You have the ability to transform your life your your career so much quicker than anybody ever would have been able to do even even 20 years ago and yet in so many ways people are dumber than they've ever been you know and um i think and i believe that's because knowledge has become too easy to come by we've lost yeah. the appreciation for gathering knowledge used to you had to work for it you had to break a sweat to learn something and we learn through experience. Now we can sit back, as cow, uh, I call the people who trash it, those are keyboard cowards, and I got- Keyboard cowards, I like that. I'm gonna steal yeah, that. The keyboard cowards, don't steal it, you gotta give me credit for that. Yeah, I'll give you but credit for it, but I'll be using cowards, it. And we're also keyboard idiots, when we should be keyboard geniuses. It's all right there, as you point out. But because it's so simple, because we've made it so easy, We've lost the appreciation, and now we take it for granted. We've got kids who can't do math. I used to have to carry a slide rule to school, and so I could learn how to get the answer. Now, you, every kid's got a cell phone, and he just types it in. He's got a calculator on there. What's the square root of 386? And they go, oh, it's this. And I used to have to figure that crap out. And when you have to figure it out, you appreciate it more. And it's more embedded in your DNA, I believe. But now, as long as you got it, if you took everybody's smartphone away from them, they would be anything in the world but smart. Yeah. But you know what? Within about two months of not having that smartphone uh, and having to figure things out using their brain, they'd get a little smarter. Yes, they would. Yeah, no question. I've got two sons. They're 10 and 12 years old. And um, I'm raising him as a bit of an old school man. Uh, I make my kids uh, do lots of sports. I make him say please and thank you and hold open doors and all that stuff. And uh, I say no to them. What a concept. I say no to my sons when they want to do something that I know isn't good for them. And I know far too many parents that don't. I was, you know, my, my boys both play soccer. And uh, I was... Uh, waiting for uh, my son to get out of his practice one day. And I saw this dad there with his uh, eight or nine-year-old daughter. And she was haranguing him. And he was sitting there taking it, you know, acting like he was the child saying, you know, you shouldn't speak to your father that way. If my boy spoke to me that way, they, they'd be in for a world of hurt. I don't hit my kids, but they'd lose all kinds of privileges that they wouldn't want to use. Lose, excuse me. Listen. Um my most important book, I've written lots of books, but my most important book was my parenting book, Your Kids Are Your Own Fault. And and we need to look at these kids right now and realize that's our fault. We're not teaching them core values, which is what my newest book that you mentioned, What's Wrong With Damn Near Everything. It's about the loss of 
of core values. We're not teaching those things right now. And that's where we're messing up. I did a story last week on Fox and Friends about the uh, cheerleaders at the high school where one of the girls didn't make the cheerleading squad. And her mother complained so much to the school that the school buckled and said, okay, everybody gets to be a cheerleader now. That's insane. I know it's absolutely insane. And what I did was translate that when I'm, what if that were that way in the, in the business world? What if there was one job opening and 75 people applied for the job? Okay, do you have to give all 75 the job? No, you can't do that. You'd bankrupt the company. You have to realize that you're going to be told no, and we're not telling our kids no. We're not setting them up for disappointment. Life is based on disappointment. Life is primarily based on not getting your way. You don't get to do whatever the hell you want to. You don't get to drive 85 through a school zone. There are rules against that, but when we've trained children train society because those children are grown now and they're going to be voting. And uh, we have, I did another story where kids are graduating from college and the workplace is having to change their hours of being open because the kids that are fresh out of college, they just can't get up and be there at eight. So the businesses are changing their hours from from eight o'clock until 11 o'clock so they can sleep in. Are you kidding me? We're changing the workplace to satisfy these kids. They've got to be told no. They've got to experience disappointment. They've got to experience loss. They have to go through failure. That's where you learn. That's where I learned. That's where we all learn. And we're robbing our kids of that. And that is tantamount to child abuse. That is tantamount to child abuse. I've actually been reading that book. I haven't finished it yet, but I, I found a lot of wisdom in that book. You know, nice. um, and, and I'll tell you, it inspired me to say no to my sons because, listen, I'd love for my sons to, uh, to get their way. I'd love to be able to uh, make them happy and have them be happy with dad every time. But I'd, I'd be doing them the biggest disservice in the world if I did that. You know, both my boys have told me that they love playing sports and they want to they get a scholarship to go to university playing soccer or hockey in the case of one of my kids, maybe even go pro. And I took them seriously. I, I, I gave them the compliment of taking them seriously. So I put them in top academies with uh, top coaches. You know, uh, I've got a buddy of mine who's an Olympic uh, gold medalist in the 110-meter hurdle. So I've done, done some training sessions with them. I make them work. They might make it. They might not. But they started doing martial arts when they were four. And now they don't like their martial arts as much as playing soccer and hockey and basketball and baseball. So they want to quit. And I said, you don't get to quit. And they've both been really upset. They go to their mom, they've complained to their mom. And I told them both, listen, you're doing karate until you get to black belt. Once you're black belt, if you want to quit, we can talk about it. I'm not guaranteeing I'll let you quit. But as long as you're my sons and you're living under my roof, If you choose to quit, I will take away everything you love. You're grounded after school. The moment you get home, you're going to do your homework and you're going to go straight to your room. That's the deal. That's the only way I'll let you quit karate. Guess what? They're not quitting karate. They're still doing it. You know, what a concept. My roof, my rules. I like that concept. It works for me. (laughs) Does for me too. Always worked for me when I was a kid. So, Larry, you know, you've got a new podcast out, um, and you're doing it with uh, my good friend Chris Widener, and, and it's a yeah. podcast for men. 
why don't you talk about the podcast and why you came up with this podcast? Well, Chris moved back to Scottsdale, Arizona, and um, I do a Friday night post on all my social media called Larry's uh, Friday Night Brown Liquor and Cigars. I always sit back, and I've got one of the largest bourbon collections probably around. I have over 250 unique bourbons. And wow. um, yeah, so I always have a bourbon and a cigar on Friday evenings. I post it. Uh, and uh, Chris called me on a Friday and said, what does it take to get in on one of those brown liquor and cigar evenings? I said, well, it's Friday. Come on over. And he did. So we're sitting on my patio having a cigar and a drink and uh, talking about just what the ills of the world were. And he and I had never met. And that's only been five months now. We've never met. We've known each other sort of and traveled in the same circles, had a lot of common friends, but we'd never been face to face. And as we sat around and talked, we just kind of at the same time realized that the biggest problem facing, we believe, facing America right now is men don't know how to be men anymore. We have Agreed. the feminization of, uh, of men in society. We have the dumbing down of men in society. Men have lost respect. Turn on the television. Every family uh, on television that's got a dad, the dad's a bozo. And uh, they don't command respect. We haven't taught our kids because uh, we have a lot of single parent uh, mothers raising their children, and God bless them for doing a good job, but we don't have a lot of men present in many cultures, and, uh, and it's a problem. And so we decided that we were going to start, we were going to write a book, and we still are writing the book right now, but we could immediately start to have an impact by doing a podcast talking about what it really takes to be a man. And it's not all that macho crap. It's not the Marlboro man kind of image. It's about teaching men again about the things that I, we've sort of been talking about here, the core values of honesty and integrity and keeping your word and kindness and treating people with respect, knowing how to treat women and knowing how to treat your mama and how to treat your wife and how to treat other men and develop friendships and share and support, all of those things that are just dramatically missing right now in the lives of most men. And uh, what's been amazing is we've done this. First of all, what we think is most amazing is we have just as many women listeners as we do men. In fact, we get more emails and suggestions for shows from women than we, than we do the men. And that the podcast has just really taken off. It seems like we've hit a, a nerve. And we'll talk about anything. Shoot, we talk about sex. We talk about... Uh, opening car doors, keeping the toilet seat up, you name it. We will talk about it. Being a prepper, all that stuff. So nothing's uh, uh, off the table when it comes to what we're willing to talk about. And the response has been terrific. You know, I love that you're doing this. Um, in uh, 2009, uh, my then wife, seemingly out of the blue, left me. Um, and uh, it was a horrible time for me. I went into a deep depression. I wasn't able to see my sons for 41 days. I wasn't able to see them or speak to them because of a legal situation. And um, initially, I blamed myself. Then I blamed her. Then a good friend of mine introduced me to a man who worked with men in my situation. So I hired him to coach me, and he had a men's group, and I joined that men's group. And I'd done a men's program with a fellow by the name of Justin Sterling called the Sterling Men's Weekend in 2008. Um, 
And uh, this other men's group I was in for a variety of reasons, it, it just wasn't vibing with me. So I joined a, a Sterling men's group. And that has been a seminal, transformative moment in my life when I did that. For seven years, I was in that group. I, I brought another 60 men to Sterling to do his program and to join his groups. I uh, turned things around in my relationship with my ex-wife. And right now, we got a terrific relationship. In fact, we went on vacation together with the kids. So I wasn't able to get our family back together again, but I've got a pretty good relationship with her, which I'm happy about. And the thing that matters most to me in the world, uh, outside of my family, my kids, my health, is to help men rediscover that, you know, within them resides a warrior and a badass. And they need to tap into that. So when I found out that you and Chris were doing this show, I wanted to bring you on to talk about it because I, like you, believe that men are lost today. And they need guides, guides like you, like Chris, like me, like Stephen Mansfield, who I've also interviewed for this show. I don't know if you know Stephen Mansfield. Um, he wrote a book called Mansfield's Book of Manly Men. Uh, he wrote the book, uh, The Faith of uh, George W. Bush, The Faith of Barack Obama. He's best-selling author and speaker as well. So there's a lot of folks out there that are seeing this issue, a lot of men that are stepping forward. So I just want to thank you for doing this work, man. It's really important. So let's let's dig a little more deeply into this. What would you say is the most important thing that a man's got to do to tap into his masculine power as a man? Well, I'm I'm not sure that I can come up right off the bat with one thing. I think that there's so much that's missing that you kind of go have to go across the board. I do I do think that men right now are being and I hate the word victim but men are being victimized by society where we are being expected to apologize for our masculinity, where society is looking at little boys and you have two little boys. I had two little boys that are now grown men with little boys. And, uh, but they're looking at little boys and when little boys are running around and have all that energy, the way we handle that to get them to be more like little girls and well-behaved in class is to prescribe psychotropic drugs and cover them up with some Ritalin and we'll make sure that they're behaving well. And so that's sort of the victimization of men right now, that there's this expectation that we apologize for our masculinity. So first of all, I think a man has to stand tall in his masculinity and not apologize for it. Chris and I just had this thing at my house for 12 guys where they paid to come and come in and go into my bourbon room and get a cigar and how I cooked barbecue and we sat around for the evening and we we all got together in my backyard and I said, guys, what is it you want from the evening? And they said to sit around and talk. And I said, well, I got a flip chart over here. Chris and I are ready to teach. <laughs> what is it you'd like to leave here with? And they said, Larry, we work all the time. All we do is work. We don't have time for ourselves ever. And so we would like to just sit around with a couple of guys who are unapologetic about their masculinity, about their manhood and just sort of take it in. And I thought, my God, how sad we have become. Where men work so hard 
and believe that they have to apologize for being who they are, that thinking like a man, acting like a man, behaving like a man is wrong. So I think really it has to start there, that we stop apologizing for our masculinity and instead learn to embrace it. That's powerful, that's well said. I wouldn't have thought you'd say that, but hearing you say it, it makes sense to me. The first thing I thought you would say is keep your word. Do what you say, the way you, you said you'd do it, when you said you'd do it. You know, that's such a life principle and a business principle for me. That's my number one rule in life. But I, I think that that has to come almost next. When you get into those kind of principles, those are things that you have to do. Uh, and, and that statement, and that's probably a statement I'm probably best known for. Do what you said you would do, when you said you would do it, the way you said you would do it. But see, that's a do. I don't think you can do until you first become. And I think that men have to change who they are, have to embrace who they are, have to be willing to actually be who they are unapologetically before they can ever go out and do anything. That's a fair point. Although I will say to me, Justin Sterling says that a man has what he calls terms, which is the sum total of your masculine identity, right? And to me, part of being a man is that you're count honorable and you can't be count honorable if you don't do what you say. So that is at a level of being, even though it is a doing that flows from that being. But yeah. if you're a count honorable man, you do what you say, the way you said it, when you said you do it. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. So, so these are some important principles of being a man. What else is important? First of all, I, I think that you have to go straight to respect. Now, the statement that you made that I'm so well known for, that do what you said you would do, when you said you would do it, the way you said you would do it, that's based in honesty and integrity, but it's mostly, in my opinion, based in respect. If I don't do what I said I would do, then I don't respect you enough to keep my word. If I uh, don't do it the way I said I would do it, then it's, that's a lack of respect. I think that we've become the most disrespectful society ever to live. That goes back to that keyboard coward thing, where people will say anything based on absolute anonymity. You're never held accountable face to face as we once were. And that's based in this lack of respect. And if I don't, I believe the violence that we're seeing right now in our schools and in society, a culture of violence comes from a culture of disrespect. If I don't respect you, then I don't care about you. And if I don't care about you, I don't care what happens to you. And it doesn't matter what I do to you. So I might as well react in a violent way and shoot you because I don't care about you. But when we teach people to respect other people's opinions, ideas, words, thoughts, property, and lives, then we can curtail that culture of violence. So respect. That's important. But the, the point about the, key, the keyboard cowards, that's, you know, I think it's timely because just yesterday, Roseanne Barr yeah. was on Twitter. She said something about Valerie Jarrett, who's, uh, you know, a close friend of uh, former President Obama's, right? And I bet you that if she was sitting across the table from Valerie Jarrett, there is no way in hell she would consider saying anything that disrespectful to her. 
But I agree. I, I totally agree. I had a guy recently, and I backed off of social media considerably, and I was very, very involved. I, you know, I've been taking crap for the things I say for a long time. I've had three death threats. I have people go after me constantly, but recently we've become so mean. I had people go after my wife, my kids, even my dogs recently. And, and I just said, guys, that the abuse has just gotten out of hand. You go after me if you don't like what it is I have to say. But this is not about my wife. You know, when, when they write me and say, I hope your wife gets raped, your kids get shot and killed, and you rot with cancer. And I go, damn. That's insanity, the, man. That, the that's going off the deep end. I know the meanness of people uh, for, for responding to any other human being. And that's what I'm saying. There's such a culture of disrespect. And and I said to another guy recently who said something really crappy. And I said, you would never say that to my face. And he said, yeah, what if I did? I said, I'd knock you on your ass. And he said, so you would resort to violence? I said, you know, sometimes knocking a guy on his ass is exactly the right response. And he said, I'm half your age. I could take you. And I said, yeah, but you'd know you'd been in a fight with an old man. I'll tell you that for damn sure. I think that when when there was a time when you were at school and somebody said or did something really stupid or you got bullied, you stood up and knocked the bully on his ass. And guess what? The bully wasn't a bully to you anymore. I wrote in that book uh, that you're reading right now, Your Kids Are Your Own Fault. You can't have bullies if you don't have victims. We've got to stop being victims. We have to stand up. I started this whole thing off with stand up to other people in your industry. I think you have to stand up to bullies and say, I'm not putting up with that from you or from anybody else and showing it in any way necessary. No, that's very true. That's very true. I'm loving this. Give me more. What else is important <laughs> for men to know about? <laughs> well, the thing I think is, is missing is this whole honesty issue. I'll put up with anything in the world, but you don't get to lie to me ever for any reason. Uh, I'll forgive you for screwing up. I can forgive about anything, but I won't forgive being lied to. You lie to me one time, I'll cut you off. We'll never talk again. I've done it. I had a, an employee that had been with me for 15 years who lied to me. Done. I, we're completely finished as of today. You don't get to lie to me. And yet, if I went out and asked the average parent, would you tolerate it if your kids lied to you? Oh, absolutely not. I demand honesty from my children. Really? 27% of Americans cheat on their taxes. So we really don't respect uh, the idea of honesty at all. We've made our core values conditional and situational. The idea that honesty is important from your children, but not important from you with your government regarding your money, that's that's a lack of integrity because you don't value honesty. You only value honesty when it serves you well. You know, that's that's true. That's very true. When I started getting involved in, in the men's group, in the men's work, I realized that I considered, quote unquote, myself an honest person, an honest man. But there were lots of quote unquote little things that I let myself be less than fully truthful on. I tell white lies. And it, it just struck me how that didn't serve me. Uh, and it obviously didn't serve the people that I wasn't being fully honest with. 
And I stopped doing that. Earlier this year, uh, it was a snowy day in Toronto, and uh, I got into an accident. It was totally my fault. The other car wasn't damaged, and uh, Ontario law means that we didn't have to call the cops, so I just called and reported it in. And my, my auto mechanic advisor said, hey, listen, you know what? They're never going to know. Pretend someone hit you when your car was parked. And I, I looked at him, and I said, no, I'm not going to do that. He said, but it's going to cost you. Your insurance is going to go up. And I said, I know, but I screwed up. It's my fault, and I'm not going to lie. I got to live with myself if I lie. And, and so I called the insurance company. I told them exactly what happened. And yes, it was my fault. And they counted it as an at-fault accident. And there was an accident forgiveness program there. So I actually didn't end up getting penalized for it. <laughs> and I felt good. I felt good that I told these guys the truth. Yeah, but they, that is the exception. I don't think we've reinforced the reward of negative consequences. There is a reward that comes with a negative consequence. The negative consequence in what you're describing here, well, you could have gotten penalized, lost your insurance or whatever. Could have had to go out of pocket on the thing. And while that would have been a negative consequence, it still would have been the right thing to do to tell the truth. But we don't reward people who do the hard thing, the wrong thing. We're called schmucks and stupid. We reward people who lie, cheat, and steal. We don't reward people who do the tough thing and and go through sort of the, and, and take their knocks with it. That's a problem that has certainly become more manifest here recently. Yeah, I, I, you're right about that. But I'll tell you, I did have to go a little out of pocket for it. I had to pay about a thousand bucks because that's the way the insurance is set up. But it was—it wasn't a lot. I mean, at least to me, a thousand bucks isn't a lot. But I'll tell you what happened that was interesting. Ever since that happened, my business has grown way more than I've ever experienced it. Like this year is by far my best year. I've made almost two hundred percent what I made last year, all of last year, before the beginning of May. And to yeah. me, that couldn't have happened if I lied to this insurance company. I'm with you. I'm with you. There is a reward. It's sort of karma. I believe the world, the universe, uh, whatever the new age people want to call it, I do think that that somehow the world takes care of you when you do the right thing. But you can't believe that until you've experienced it and you can't experience it until you've done the right thing and you'll never do it as long as you're listening to what people in the media say not as long as you're watching what's on television where we are absolutely glorifying stupidity stupidity of the people in hollywood stupidity of people who don't do right in the business world the politics and that's what we're doing. Uh, we live in a world that re rewards bad behavior, calls you an idiot if you don't put yourself first and ever put somebody else first. And that's got to shift. And hopefully that's what we're trying to teach these men and, and young men who are a big part of what we do as well. In the podcast, we talk to young men a lot. And I get a lot of feedback from families who say they sit down with their sons and um, 
and, and talk to them about what we do in the podcast and about the principles we cover in that. And that's really rewarding for us. We're doing a, a big event in October in Scottsdale where we've got a track for young men as well as for uh, the dads and the, the, the older guys. So we'll be talking to all of them, but it's very important that we teach young men these things. Give me the date for that event. We'll definitely help you promote it. And depending on when it is, because I've got an event in October for our program, depending on when it is, maybe we'll be able to come down and be there. It'd be, it'd be yeah, an honor it. to be there. It'd be great. October 27th, we would just love to have anybody like to attend if they're not attending your event. Well, and my event's the week before, so I think we can make that work. So let's... Well, you know what? I'll uh, organize to have you and uh, and Chris back on again, uh, and we'll uh, we'll help you promote it. And uh, I'll let the folks here know there's a number of men's organizations that I'm involved with. So let me connect you with those folks. Let's make it happen. You're you're doing God's work, uh, Larry. It's important that men get in touch with their masculine power. It's one of the things that I want to do uh, more about from a professional basis as well as a volunteer basis. I have a bit of a side hustle where I work with uh, separated fathers whose wives have left them. It's it's not something that I've got a website or a, or a blog or a podcast out on at this point in time because my main business is helping coaches and consultants grow their business. But I've helped about a, a dozen men. They've paid me to help them get through the pain uh, of separation and I help them get through that pain in weeks or months versus, you know, years, decades, or even never. And um, every single man that uh, I've worked with has benefited from this. A couple of them have actually even been able to put their relationships back together and their families back together, for which I'm eternally grateful. Because uh, Justin Sterling says, in his opinion, uh, in almost every instance, divorce is a, a form of child abuse. And uh, I don't know if... Uh, I'd go as far as saying in almost every instance, but in the overwhelming majority of instances, I think if you've got children and if there is a way for you to preserve your relationship and swallow your pride and, and, and take a look and see what you did wrong, especially for men, but, but even for women, just own up to where you've messed up in the relationship and, and do your damnedest to rekindle the love and rekindle the family structure because your children they didn't ask to be brought into the world. And when a family breaks up, the first thing that goes through a child's mind is, is it my fault? Are mommy and daddy breaking up because of me? And I want every parent who's thinking about breaking up to hear me when I say that. Because it's not just about you, it's about your child. And um, that's me getting on my soapbox, Larry. But I believe well, in that I very strongly. That. And I, I agree that, that men need to hear this. I don't do this part of, this is not my main business. You know, I'm a professional speaker and write books and go on TV. And uh, I coach speakers and consultants too and do all that stuff and work with small businesses. But this is something that I really feel is important and really needed. If we're really going to change the world, and I'm not big on changing the world. The world will change when it wants to and when it feels it needs to. But I believe that we can change men. And if we change enough men, then the world ultimately changes. I like it. I like it. And you know what, Larry? I may I may create a version of your uh, 
brown liquor and cigars for uh, for Toronto myself. Now, I, I don't drink and I don't smoke, but I'll figure out my version of it. It's uh, it's powerful stuff having a bunch of men sit together, especially high-level professional men. And uh, I'm, I've been in a lot of men's groups that do a lot of stuff for men, but I like the way you're doing it. So maybe we'll talk offline and see what I can get going up here in Toronto. Sounds good. Larry, so I like to end off every podcast by asking you, as our expert guest, what are your top three expert action steps in a bit of a bulletproof format that you want our listener to take on to enhance their life and grow their business? Give it to me. Well, I get asked that question a lot, and I pretty much answer the very same way every single time. So maybe I gave this answer when I was on your show before. But here's my suggestion. Everybody ought to get three pieces of paper. On the first piece of paper, write down where you are in every single area of your life, especially important for men right now. And we can tie this back to exactly what we've been talking about. Where do you stand with your family? Where do you stand with your finances? Where do you stand with your career? What's your weight look like, your health look like? Write down everything in your life how it is right now. Then on the next sheet of paper, write down exactly how you would like for it to be. So now you've got two sheets of paper you can lay side by side and say, this is how it is. This is how I'd like for it to be. And then on the third sheet of paper, write down what you're going to give up to get from where you are to where you want to be. You see, we've got way too many people out there talking about all the things that you can get from doing this or from doing that. Uh, It's not about getting, it's about giving up. I believe I was the very first guy in this industry to talk about success comes from sacrifice. You don't get skinny, you give up what's making you fat. You don't get happy, you give up what's making you unhappy. You don't get rich, you give up what's making you broke. And so all these areas of your life, you're going to have to look at what you're willing to give up. And if you're not willing to sacrifice, if you're not willing to give something up, you're going to stay with that first sheet of paper and your life's going to always look just like it looks right now. Powerfully put. So, listener, Larry Wing gets the real deal. If you're a man or you have men in your life that you care about, you're going to have to send them to listen to Larry's podcast with Chris Widener. So, Larry, how do they access the podcast? Go to realmanpodcast.com, realmanpodcast.com. You can see all of the episodes there, listen to them right there. It's on all of the different podcast formats as well, platforms that are out there. But go to realmanpodcast.com. You can look at our events. You can find out who Chris is, who I am. Find out all we've got going on. That's the easiest way to do it. Realmanpodcast.com. Love it. So make sure you do that. Buy a bunch of Larry's books. You know, buy five copies each. Give them to your friends and family. Give them to the people you care about. He's the pit bull of personal development First time I spoke with him, I went out there, I ordered every single one of his books and a few of his audio programs, and uh, I've benefited tremendously. In fact, Larry, I want to tell you, one of my best friends, he's a man who uh, I work out with. He, he's an Olympic gold medalist. His name is Mark McCoy. In 1992, he won the 110-meter hurdles. He's 56 years old right now, and from the neck down, he still looks like he belongs on a gold medal podium. I, I gave him one of your audio programs that I bought. He listened to it. He's become a big fan. He's devoured everything that you've put together. He listens to your work pretty much on a daily basis. This is an Olympic champion, and he thinks Larry Wing gets the real deal. And this is one of the men I respect the most in the world. So 
That's got to well, tell you something good. John, thank you so much. No, yeah, totally. You know, at some point I should connect you and Mark. He's 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 just a fantastic mm-hmm. human being. Um, so make sure you do that. Make sure you go to the podcast. Make sure you buy a bunch of copies of his various books and, and read them yourself. Give them to your friends and family. And uh, in fact, you know what, Larry? When your book for men comes out, I'm going to commit to putting in an order for at least 30 of them. Get them signed by you and Chris, and uh, I'll hand them out to a bunch of men I know here. Uh, we appreciate it. And make sure that they get it. And if you're listening to this podcast, listener, and you're asking yourself, hey, do I have what it takes to be like Larry? Can I grow my presence? Can I grow my business? The answer is yes, you can. And the best way for you to find out how is to jump on a call with myself or a member of my team. This is called a success call. It's a trial call. It's absolutely free of charge. What we do is we delve into your business. We help put together a a plan to train you to get your expertise nailed so that you can use that to get out there and become a man or woman with a fast-growing coaching or consulting business. Go to ecircleacademy.com forward slash appointment. Larry, thank you so much for being a guest on today's show. This was a special interview for me, my friend. I appreciate you saying that. It's always fun to talk to you. Thank you so much. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the Thought Leader Revolution podcast. To find out more about today's awesome guest, the one, the only, the legendary pit bull of personal development himself, Larry Winget, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com. Go inside the show notes. You'll find out about his podcast, the realmanpodcast.com. And to jump on a call with myself or a member of my team to find out how you can grow your coaching and consulting business, go to eastercoleacademy.com forward slash appointment. Until next time, goodbye.